Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. We're back. Just come into 2021. Don't, you know, move anything. Just sit down and be quiet. Don't break anything. Let's just kind of ease into this year and see what happens. Uh, Today, we'll be interviewing my brother, Roland Martin, to talk about the Georgia runoff and the news of the day to start the year. But uh, before we get to Roland, I wanted to talk about something that's been concerning me around this vaccine rollout. As many of you know, both the Moderna and Pfizer COVID vaccines have been rolled out primarily for frontline healthcare workers and seniors in senior facilities. But you may not know that while the vaccine has been produced and shipped across the country, it's not actually getting into arms. As of this recording, for example, 13 million doses have been distributed nationally, but only 4.2 million, roughly 32% of first doses, have been administered. So, Almost 70% of the vaccines that your tax dollars have bought are sitting in freezers in some parts of the country, but in short supply in others. In places like Chicago, Illinois, over 95% of the vaccine has been distributed and administered. But in Texas, parts of the state are at risk of doses going to waste. In Florida, county health departments are reporting that their phone lines are crashing from the volume of callers seeking shots. But in Riverside County, California, Almost half of healthcare workers don't even want the vaccine. So, plainly speaking, this is a mess. And even though the most recent COVID relief package includes $9 billion for vaccine distribution, it's not clear when this money will actually reach people to know when a shot is available for them and to get in their arms. So what should we be doing? Well, first, we need bold action from this incoming administration to significantly ramp up how many doses are sent to states so that we aren't rationing out the vaccine in the first place because we're not even doing the rationing well. I understand getting it to high-risk groups, but if I'm honest, in order to get to our target of 80 to 90% of Americans being vaccinated by the end of next year, we need more doses. As important, we need money to inform the public that the vaccine is available to them, clear instructions on where to go and that it's safe. That's mail, radio, TV, and digital ads telling people where and how they can get the shots. Activating the Defense Production Act to get more doses produced is the right step that the Biden administration should take, but it's just a first step. I'd say go a step further in activating every state National Guard and military medical personnel to actually distribute and administer them. We've got to sell this shot and put in it as many arms as possible to avoid 2021 looking like 2020. Second, to my friends in state and local government, I get that the money is low and help is on the way but not quite in the bank yet. But nothing is stopping you now from explaining to your constituents what's going on and when they can expect to possibly be vaccinated based on what you know now. You can't wait for the health department to do your job and theirs too when they're already overwhelmed. You have Facebook pages and social media, comm staff and public information departments. You got to get to work. And that's that on that. Uh, Now on to a conversation about Georgia. Again, we're at the most important elections of our lifetime with my good friend and brother, Roland Martin. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, 
you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Welcome to the Bakari Sellers Podcast. I've been waiting on the perfect moment to have my brother Roland Martin on. He will increase my viewership and subscribers and downloads exponentially. The one, the one man black media kingpin himself, Roland Martin. What's going on, my brother? How are you? Uh, all good uh, here. Well, I hate to say back in Georgia, I've spent uh, most of December in Georgia. We committed to, to really focus on uh, the Georgia Center runoff race. And so we've been on the ground since December 7th in the state. So I took off a couple of days to hang out with my wife and nieces at Disney World so I can get some sun on these pasty legs uh, <laughs> in Virginia with the weather. But uh, I'm back here and, um, you know, it's, it's, it, is, it has been quite interesting traveling all across this state, uh, visiting with folks uh, regarding these races. We're going to talk about these races in a minute because that's what I want to dig into. But before we do, I, I usually yeah. start each of our interviews by asking our guests to walk us through the arc of your career. And you've had a very career as a journalist going from print to radio to television to digital, never really leaving any space completely, but doing every form of media. Talk to us through each of your stops from when you finished Texas A&M to your work now with Roland Martin Unfiltered. And the reason I do this is because people just listening or watching just assume you yeah. pop up wherever you are. They don't right. know that you've toiled in the vineyard. Well, actually, you've got to go before Texas A&M. I actually went to a Magna School of Communications uh, in Houston, Jack Gates High School. So everything that I'm doing right now emanates from what took place at Nick. We had our own television station. We had a radio station with a newspaper. So truth be told, I've been doing multimedia journalism since 1984. Um, I was doing it before they called it that. I was doing convergence before they called it. In fact, uh, one of the most hilarious things is that Columbia University, they had a media convergence fellowship. And it was the first, it was the first class. Bakari, this is too funny. Literally they had all these different journalists from these different mediums, from television, from, from newspaper, from magazine, from radio. So we're sitting the first day, they go, okay, so how many of you work in television? Hands went up. Raised my hand. He said, well, how many of you uh, have done radio? Hands went up. I raised my hand. He said, how many of you have done newspaper and magazine? Hands went up. I raised my hand. They looked at me like, you the only one to raise your hand on all of these. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I've done all of them. So uh, when I was in college, folks wanted me to choose one. I said then, I literally said in 1987, no. I will not choose one media. I knew where we were going. Just like I knew when I knew, I knew the moment when I was ready to, to lead a media operation. When I worked on the, on the uh, at the Alfred P. Murrow Federal Building when it blew up in Oklahoma City, 
And for the first two days, I was at, I was at the Fort Worth Star Telegram on City Hall Reporter. And we didn't have any editors on scene. So I just took over. And it was a trip because when they sent an editor down, our best two days were our first two days, no editor on scene where I was sort of, you know, leading out us on the ground. Then the worst two days when they brought an editor in. And it was funny because <laughs> that Sunday she said, man, I learned a lot from you this week, but don't tell anybody. I thought that was weird. She got promoted three times in the next year and a half. Mm. That's when I knew I said, I got to go. Uh, and so, and I was 26. So I knew, again, understanding the landscape, understanding media. That's why I went to KKDA radio, became news director, uh, morning anchor. And again, that just, it, it, it's just when you're a student of your business, you have to be able to see things moving forward. So like later, when I took up the Chicago Defender. You know, I launched the first black. It's so funny. We're having this discussion about this on this podcast. I launched the first black news source audio podcast in 2005. Video podcast in 2006 when Evan Williams, who later founded Twitter, spoke at a media fellowship at Cal Berkeley and introduced us a thing called Odeo. And I was like, we're going to do this here. So here we were in 2005 doing audio podcasts. And folks were, when I ran Tom Jones Black America Web in 2001, we were doing audio and video. So audio and video is not new to me when it comes to media. And so, you know, that has been, so whether it's been black newspapers, mainstream media, whether it's been Savoy Magazine, uh, I mean, we can go on and on and on. It's my, my focus has always been on really what's next. And even when I launched my digital show, Roller Martin Unfiltered, my executive producer's like, he said, Roland, he said, you got to do a podcast. I was like, yeah, but I've already done one. And he's looking at me going, yeah, but this is podcasting 2.0. I'm like, yeah, but I've already done one. I said, I actually want to go next. And so I knew it would take some buildup. And in the first year when I launched, in the, within the first year, ABC expanded their digital uh, online yeah. presence. NBC, CBS. CBS did, CNN, everybody did. And the people who told me I was crazy, I said, am I crazy now? So that's always been the thing for me. So I've never gotten caught up in the, you work for this big media company. Even when I was at CNN, I was there six years. I never left TV One. I never left Tom Joyner. I always understood if one place doesn't allow me to do all that I can do, I have to have other outlets. So if they say no, they say yes. Now, I'm the one who gets to say yes or no. So there you go. So how can listeners support Roland Martin Unfiltered? It comes out. It's a daily digital platform and show. Every day. We live stream. We do a two-hour day show, but also we live stream events. Uh, like I say, here in Georgia, we've been, we've been live streaming rallies, all kinds of different stuff along those lines beyond the, uh, those two hours. Uh, just go to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. We live stream on YouTube. Facebook Periscope is ending in March, uh, but uh, we also be launching our OTT channels this week. I just signed that contract literally four days ago, um, and so uh, they just just go to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Uh, we've got tremendous fan support. We've got more than twenty thousand people who are members of our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, and the beauty of this, uh, Bakari, we don't send folks a T-shirt or a hat or anything like that. Like literally, they are supporting us because they want to see the show succeed. The first check I got, Bacardi, was a $500 check from a 92-year-old black woman in Long Island, New York, who said, I watched you on TV One. My daughter follows you on Facebook. She follows you because she loves to play golf like you. And she said, your voice is important to our people. A 92-year-old black woman in Long Island, New York. 
and that's 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 how we do what we do. So let's talk about the let's talk about the Georgia runoffs. Let's talk uh, about you getting a haircut and shaving off that damn beard. You like Lord. it? Yeah, this is the first Lord one. You're the first, one. you're the first one to see it. You, you're Lord have mercy. I'm like, woo, because Lord, I'm telling you, you were like, hey, man, Teddy Pendergrass. Oh, yeah. Your barber was like, thank you, Jesus. I can now make money. <laughs> they, they looked at me when I walked in there like, uh, you okay? Where you been? They, they, you know they, they thought you were having a middle-aged crisis. Man, look, I I had to make sure I wasn't gonna get I wasn't gonna get the Rona in the barber's chair, so I I, I did I did I my way. But you moved you moved down to Georgia, and you've been on the ground throughout early voting in Georgia. Almost ninety thousand voters have voted in the runoff who didn't vote in the general election, yep. and the share of these voters is about forty percent. The model party ID numbers show Democrats with a slim projected advantage going into Tuesday's election. What's your feeling based on what you're seeing on the ground? One of the things we got to remember that there's been a huge push for black folks to vote early and to vote after vote by mail. But we got to remember, black folks like to vote in person on election day. It is something psychological for us. It is something historical to be able to walk into that ballot box on election day. And so it it, it bodes well. Look, the reality is whites make up 52 percent of this state, African-Americans. About thirty percent, uh, and the rest uh, Hispanic, Asian Pacific, uh, and also also Native American. I interviewed uh, the leader, uh, Native American leader, last week. Got about one hundred fifty thousand Native Americans in this state. They played a huge role in Biden winning Arizona mm-hmm. uh, on third. Uh, and so this is one of those elections where every single vote does indeed count. You've got twenty three thousand young people who turned eighteen by Tuesday who are eligible to vote. Your point about those 90,000 folks uh, who did not vote November 3rd, also critical as well. Uh, and half of those people, people of color. Um, it is it's going to be extremely close, which is why when you hear, and we, I've, been, I've led several different got the vote rallies, and I've said every vote matters. Uh, Sherry Beasley, the sister who was a chief justice in North, in North Carolina. Carolina. I'm sick about that. Sick about by, that. She lost by 400 votes. Uh, Republican just won a congressional seat in Indiana by six votes. Uh, you look at Sabrina Fulton, Trayvon's mama, she lost in March and for Miami-Dade Commission by 315 votes. So I'm always explaining to people that they matter. Uh, and one of the things that I think is so, it's one of the things that, that we really have to focus on is always interesting to me. People talk about, man, we register so many people. I say, y'all, registration is one piece. Mm-hmm. You got to get them there. So I was in Clayton County on Saturday. We had a rally there. Clayton County, 70% black. They call it the blackest county in Georgia. 58% turnout. Now, for the folks who are listening, understand, Andrew Gillum lost because blue counties were under 60% turnout. The top 11 to 12 counties in, in Florida were red counties, and they were all 65 plus. So you might have a smaller county, mm-hmm. but if they are turning out at 70, 72%, and you've got a larger county, they're turning out at 58%, that's how you can, that's how you can lose. So the thing has to be in Clayton County, getting our folks to the polls. In Albany, I've been to Albany twice, Columbus twice, Savannah twice. I'll be in Savannah a third time with, with, with the Vice President-elect Colin Harris rally. We've been to Athens. We've been to Macon. 
all of these non-Atlanta places. Metro Atlanta represents 60% of the population and the voters in the state. But you lose if you don't turn to people from the other cities. And so a lot of everybody has been placed there. Black Voters Matter, Georgia Stand Up, the New Georgia Project. The third party groups really have understood this. So they've really been active outside of Metro Atlanta. And I think a lesson of this, this campaign here is, and something, and, and you know this as well, dealing with campaigns. And let me just be as clear and succinct as possible. White media consultants are going to have to learn to get the hell out of the way and put the money on the ground and stop thinking you're going to win the race in an air war battle. Mm-hmm. $463 million has been spent on TV ads in Georgia. Let's just be clear. Nobody is being convinced. Nobody is being flipped. There's no persuasion voters in Georgia right now. No, this is turnout. Yes. This is pure turnout. And in 2016, I remember being on MSNBC and yelling at Robbie Mook and John Podesta, saying, get your heads out of your iPads and listen to the ground. It's the same thing every election since. It's a ground game. And so you have to be, and you got to stop bringing people in from places that don't know the state. You got to hire people in counties. Black people were successful. I go back to Ella Baker, one of the greatest organizers in American history, who told SNCC workers, take your college clothes off and put on your overalls and go sit and listen to these people. And just because they don't have a college education, some of them don't have more of a third grade education. They know what they want. It's a ground thing. You got to be able to say, we're going to hire folks in this county. Y'all going to work this county. I don't need somebody from Clayton County in Gwinnett County. You're going to work what you know. And and that's the only way. And so registering again is great. That's important. But then you got to get them to the polls. And that is going to be the biggest challenge for John Ossoff and Raphael Wardock. Can they drive their people to the polls in massive numbers? White voters, let's see what white moderates are going to do. They're going to turn out. What I keep telling black people is, I use a Nehemiah model. I'm going to build a portion of the wall in front of my house. But black people, I'm like, I can't worry about white folks. But if black people maximize our turnout, yeah. we can win numerous elections. Numerous elections. Let me ask you this. You, you mentioned the air war. And for listeners who have not been in Georgia to see the radicalized ads attacking Raphael Warnock, can you give our listeners a flavor of oh how the God. negative ads have tilted heavily towards Warnock and the nature of those attack ads? Kelly Leffler is running one of the most racist campaigns of the 21st century. It's, it's not even a conversation. Uh, they, their whole deal is Raphael Warnock is the scariest black man you've ever seen in your life radical socialist. I mean, when she had the debate, so she, radical liberal, radical liberal, liberal radical. She kept saying over and over again, that's their whole strategy. Uh, remember when, during the, during the presidential campaign, folks were like, we can't nominate Senator Bernie Sanders. They're going to call us socialists. They're going to call you socialists anyway. They're going to call you socialists anyway. They call every Democrat. Hey, Mitch McConnell just said you're a socialist if you're trying to get folks $2,000 check. They're going to use that phrase regardless. And so, they, but, but they've been viciously attacking Warnock for everything. Uh, you talk about um, Pastor uh, uh, Jeremiah Wright. I mean, everything. They're throwing everything. And, and, so, and they're using the keywords. They're using all the keywords. 
And, and that's what Kelly Loeffler is doing. Uh, David Perdue, not quite the same because he went against John Ossoff, but the Mick McConnell pack. It's just crazy. I was watching the Texas AM North Carolina game, and I mean, they were just, it was like ad after ad, like me. I, I, I can't listen to it. <laughs> but that's what the robot has. They're trying to scare white voters. Their whole deal is we got to scare the hell out of white voters. Republicans can't make an argument. They can't make an argument to black people. They can't make an argument to white voters. But it's like, but if we can scare these white voters, and here's the deal. We know from history, it works. White voters operating in white fear. I'm actually working on a book that's going to drop in 2022 on that. Let me ask you a question, though. Let me ask you a question. A lot of the attacks on Warnock have stemmed from statements he made in sermons, but any black person that has spoken the truth on race that seeks a statewide office will ultimately have to fight the radical tag designed to scare white voters, as you just said. As someone who's covered black politics and elections for a long time, what's your take on how campaigns and candidates navigate the inevitable attacks while speaking the truth on racial and social justice issues? Have you seen how many commercials Warnock has dropped with him holding a puppy? Look, black people, when you run for statewide office, let, let, let me just hold up people about we're still operating in white America. I need people to hear me clearly. We're operating in white America. The electorate is white. Somebody listening goes, saying, what are you talking about? I just talked about black voters. 69% of the total electorate, November 3rd, was white. 69%. It was 71 to 72% in 2016. So you can sit here and pull all the black voters, all Latino voters, all of the Native American voters in Asia, pull everybody together. And we represent 31% of the total electorate. You're dealing with white people. You're appealing, you're having to confront the perspective, the mindset, and the viewpoint of white people. So when you're black and you're running for statewide office, you have to be as pure, as clean, as non-offensive, uh, you can't be. Po- I'm going to give you an example. When I was, was at CNN, white folks used to call in. Why is he so angry? Okay. I mean, they used to like literally leave voicemails and the executives would talk to me and my agent. They were like, can you smile more? Can you smile more? And finally, Bakari, probably after the sixth time I said, if I smile anymore, I'm going to be dancing a jig. Because everything is, how can we make them comfortable? So therefore, we have to calibrate our dress, calibrate our tone. We can't have too much bass in our voice. Uh, we, oh, no, no, we can't be aggressive. That's why people are like, man, Warnock should win hard at the left. I say, y'all, Warnock can't go hard after a white woman in Georgia. <laughs> Those, all of those things still matter. They all still matter. Now, there is one thing that Kelly left with one of her first appearances. She came to Ebony's Baptist Church after mm-hmm. she got the job. After she got appointed. And see, now, I, I, I was just hoping that one I could have said, you know, you keep calling me radical. So why don't you come to my radical church? Mm-hmm. Why, why, why don't you come sit on the front row? We, we pull a video. Why don't you come? In fact, and see, again, to me, this is, to me, I get how his campaign people are playing it out. But he was very close with Republican Johnny Isaacson, who held the seat before Leffler. Mm-hmm. 
I, I was just hoping, and, and I get it's a lot of things happening in these debates, you know, and you got to remember a lot of stuff. I was just hoping he would have said, so why don't you call your predecessor, Republican Johnny Isaacson, friend of mine, who frequently visited my church, who frequently called upon me. See, black candidates, to me, I think you can be so non-threatening, but sometimes I think you got to turn one of their own on them and say, so why is it that your fellow Republican call me uh, a lifelong friend? See, and that's the challenge. And so, and for African Americans, but understand that. Look, we saw that with Obama. We, we've seen that with other candidates who run statewide. Deval Patrick, same thing. Pastor Raphael Warnock cannot run for the United States Senate. Raphael Warnock has to run for the United States Senate, and that's just the reality. It is still white America. It is we still have to factor in what white people think and feel about everything. And we have to calibrate to adjust to them as opposed to say, no, they should adjust to us. I mean, that's the reality in politics, mm-hmm. in media, in business. And that is the thing, Bakari, that I think is so unsettling for people to understand where we are as a country. We're still dealing with a nation that is driven by the racial perceptions, stereotypes, views, perspective. And we as African-Americans have to factor in white folks' feelings about everything in order to move forward. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear. That is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at Viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven and your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that I'm going to be going forward anytime there's a drink like this. I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, participating U.S. stores, see app for full terms, all rights reserved. Let me ask you this question. While you're on the ground, depending, regardless of what happens on January 5th, Tell me about, I want you to do some prognostication based on what you're seeing on the ground now. Right. Tell me what that means for Stacey Abrams in 2022 against Brian Kemp. 
Um, it's huge for Stacey because uh, everything right now, data, data, data. You've also given people a taste of, yo, we did this. Biden Harris wins this state by less than 12,000 votes. Mm-hmm. Let me go, let me give another comparison of the Southern state, North Carolina. Obama wins North Carolina by 14,100 votes. Republicans immediately go on, oh, hell no, we ain't never gonna let this happen again. It's been a 10-year slog for the people in North Carolina to, to fight back against that. Reverend William Barber, more Mondays, NAACP, Democracy North Carolina, so many others. Georgia has been studying North Carolina. The onslaught is coming. Republicans in North Carolina change all kinds of laws mm-hmm. to go to suppression. Republicans in Georgia have already said, oh, no, 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 we get rid of all it. We change everything back because they can't handle losing. They have to cheat to win. Yeah. So the folks in Georgia are girding themselves for the political battle after, after this. That's also why this race is important. If yep. Olsoff and Warnock wins, the John Lewis uh, Act gets passed. Correct. Then you can fight this stuff. And so that's been the other thing. But one of the biggest things that I've tried to do in everything we've done here, Bacar, is connected dots. We have the connected dots. There are a lot of people here who said, man, what? Why I got to come out for the runoff? I just voted for Biden-Harris. You voted for Biden-Harris, but Biden-Harris don't mean a damn thing if they ain't got the Senate. Correct. So if they still got to go through Mitch McConnell. It's rough. There you go. Well, you go through Mitch McConnell, you ain't getting nothing going through. I mean, you can, you can get, ain't no John Lewis Act. There's no George Floyd Justice Act. None, none of those things are happening. So it, it, it bodes very well because what the people, and I'm, and, and I, and, and the th- here's the other thing that this is the most important thing, I think, that Stacey Abrams and uh, her group, New Georgia Pride, did Fair Fight, what, 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 they all, what they all showed. What they showed is we ain't got to wait on permission. Correct. And the funding, and this is, this, and this is the biggest part, Barack Bakari, the <laughs> funding apparatus now is not so tilted to giving money Correct. to parties and candidates. Now you have infusion of capital to Black Voters Matter, to all these third-party groups. So now they have the resources to hire staff, hire people. And so you're going to see a massive 24-7, 365 voter initiative that will not be driven by the election cycle. On January 6th, they're going to be focused on 2022. Before we let you go, because I know you got to get on the road and go see my girl today, please give her my best. I'm going to text her and tell her to look out for you. Well, you text uh, her. Tell her text me back. I will. She's, I she said her text. <laughs> you know, I know she's busy, but she can say, what up, Roland? I'm just saying. No, I sent her a text the other day. I got a response like like seven days later, eight days later. I was like, you busy? <laughs> I, I, I called her day, November 4th. I'm like. Can you text a brother back? <laughs> I'll tell her to hit you up. She, yeah, she will hit, hit you up. Brother up. I want to. I want to switch gears though and, and talk about the Biden transition. I came across some information that was shared about the diversity of the incoming White House staff. Of the forty-nine senior White House staff hired to date, nine are black and only one is a black man. That's Louisiana Congressman Cedric Richmond. Problem of the sixty-four White House personnel staff, twelve are black and only one is a black man. So if you're keeping score. Of the 103 White House senior uh, House staffers to date, hired to date, 21 are black and only two are black men. 
I get a lot of flack. You saw this the other day for raising this concern, not because we shouldn't have more black women everywhere, because we definitely should. But the second most loyal voting block of Democratic voters is black men. And we need to be at the table. What's going on here? This is very simple. And and look, I am I ain't got no problem supporting sisters. Never had you both. I mean, we've always always been there, right? Always. But you just said it best. Black women voted 90 percent for Biden. Black men voted eight. Higher than any other group other than black women. I believe in return on investment. And here's the other piece. This is also a problem for Democrats. And let me say this as loud as I can. Democratic Party, you have a black male problem. 2012, there was a nine-point gap between black men and black women for Obama-Romney. It went to 13 points with Clinton and Trump. It was 20 points with Trump and Biden. Mm -hmm. Listen to me clearly, Democratic Party. If you do not confront your black male problem, it's going to be 24 or 25% in 2024. Mm. If you think you can keep winning and you fall below 80% of black men, you're crazy. Now somebody's listening and saying, what's wrong with these brothers? <laughs> this is very simple, y'all. Black voters in 2021 are not black voters in 1981. Democrats are used to having a one shot, I can hit everybody. No, you're now going to have to micro target black people. You're going to have to have a very specific aim at young black voters, different from black men, different from black women. Democrats don't want to hear that because they don't want to spend the money on having to micro target. But we figure out we figure out what type of white women we going to micro target all the time, don't we? That's because the electorate is about how do we appease white voters. I'm telling you right now, it's it's a problem. And you're absolutely right. And you should call it out. I've called it out and will continue to call it out. Uh, And these folks need to understand. Don't act like you think you can do this without black men. Look, when all those stories were done, black women elected Doug Jones. 96% of black women voted for Doug Jones. I had to keep reminding people. 93% 93% of black men did too. So they can play these games all they want to, but go ahead and mark this date. Y'all, two black men, one who's a self-identified Democrat and one who identified with nobody. But I can tell you, Democrats, y'all are going to have a black male problem if y'all keep this up. And don't say no one told you. Because these two black men are telling you <laughs> it's going to be a problem. And, 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 and they act like you and I don't talk to other brothers. They don't understand. They, they, yeah. they don't understand. And also somebody's saying it's all misogyny. No, it's not. Because it was two men in 2012. Obama, Romney. Y'all got to understand a lot of black men felt let down by Obama after the first term. That's where this thing started, Bakari. And people want to play games, but I'm telling y'all what I know is real, and it's going to be a problem if they don't address it. There should be a specific black male initiative in the Democratic National Committee. Biden had better start naming some black men. They better realize it. And again, I love my sisters, but you need brothers too. 
Last quick question. Well, not quick. The, the second question will be quick. The black press will have a, a far better relationship with this incoming White House. But I feel like the black press, not you, of course, to piggyback on something you said, often gave the Obama White House a pass on a lot of black issues. I don't think that'll happen this time. How do you think the black press will cover the Biden White House on black issues? And what issues are you personally watching closely to see if this incoming administration is meeting the moment we're in for black people? Here's the first thing. First of all, we got to be real. What's the black press? Mm, Okay. That's the first thing. We've got a whole bunch of folk who call themselves black media and they they do nothing but cover entertainment and gossip. We have a serious fundamental problem in black media in that we have very little news reporting. Very little. You know, all these black cable networks, the only one with a consistent news show is Revolt. And they went from two times a week to one, one day a week. We'll see what they do in 2021. It's a joke. So the problem is who's covering? What are they covering? So that, that's one. They are going to have the outreach, uh, but the challenge has to be on folk got to know the issues. So I'm going to deal with something that's really at the heart of black media. Two years ago, uh, the NNPA asked Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton to do a study on media spending by government agencies. In a five-year period, the federal government, according to a study by the GAO, spent $5 billion on media advertising. Black media got $51 million. So part of the reason why we can't cover stuff is we don't have the resources, Bakari. I was about to say, them, them numbers lopsided right there. I don't do math well. I'm a lawyer, but that number's, them numbers lopsided. Out of $1 billion a year, that's 1%. So I, am, I have made it clear to Biden, Harris, and the people, it needs, that number needs to be an annual 15% that Black media gets, uh, that Black-owned media gets, not Black-targeted media. Let me be clear, because complex ain't Black-owned. But folks say that's black targeted and more money is spent with them. We ain't talking about them, okay? I'm being real clear, y'all. But on the issues, we need to be pressing them hard, hard on issues dealing with student debt, on dealing with proper allocations uh, for for African-Americans when it comes to housing initiatives, but I'm talking about home ownership initiatives, pressing them when it comes to Black access to capital in the Treasury Department. 2010, I was called to a meeting under uh, Obama White House. They told me that black and minority firms outperform white firms on the management of TARP funds. My first question was, does that mean they're going to get more money? Folks went silent. People pay attention to me. The federal government pension program is essentially controlled by BlackRock. Why is it that black firms are not participating in the investing of federal pension dollars. Some of y'all might be saying, okay, that's no big deal. Guess what? There is no arrow capital management unless you have federal pension dollars. People need to understand Mm -hmm. we are frozen out of the money. Black, Black bond firms, black accounting firms, black private equity firms. That's what I'm talking about. David Patterson changed it when he was governor of New York. This is the thing that Maynard Jackson, I'm here in Atlanta, he did as well. I need our people to understand they got no problem with us talking about social justice and criminal justice <laughs> reform. They, y'all, that don't involve money. I'm talking about we got to go where the money is. First thing, Bakari, what are we getting for investment when it comes to uh, COVID? Black media, what are we getting? What are we getting in outreach dollars as well? We're trying to get people to take a vaccine. 
And we've got to now demand line item analysis. No, 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 no. Don't give me big numbers. Don't give me minority numbers. I want to know specifically black numbers. That has to be our challenge. But black media had better be prepared for this. Unfortunately, too many of them just want to go to the meeting and be happy to be there. Trust me. And I'm going to give this last one. Look, there's a reason why I didn't get a book interview or exit interview with Obama. I'm just being straight up because I challenged him and his administration. I hit them hard on small business loans with the black people. And trust me, he wasn't happy with, with my critique. But here's the piece. I knew Obama was only going to be there eight years. I can't sit here and just be excited with, about the inauguration parade. We got to get something for the return on our investment. And so I'm saying Biden-Harris, I'm going to be respectful. I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to do all of that. But I swing for black people. And I'll be asking those questions and making those demands. And if I got to hit folk every day, guess what? They're going to get hit. But this is about the dollars for us. That's what it boils down to. Man, I just want to say thank you for joining us today. I know you're running. I know you got to go cover the vice president's rally. And you don't know what to do now that Steve Sarkeesian is the head coach of the University of Texas. I know you sweat. Yes, we do. I ain't sweating. <laughs> I, I know you sweat. I wasn't sweating Tom Herman. I wasn't sweating uh, Charlie Strong. I ain't sweating. Look, first of all, we call them TU. We ain't worried about little burnt orange down there. Uh, bottom line is they're they, they going to suck. They're going to keep getting beat by uh, Oklahoma. But they better be worried about Iowa State. <laughs> That's what they better focus on. So I hear we, you. We, I hear we ain't you. I'm, still savoring, I'm still savoring my Dabo Sweeney beat down the other night. I love it. I love it. So oh, oh, you're dabbles. Oh, that's, that's right. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I thought you were about to bring up our Texas A&M beat down on your Gamecocks every year since we've been in the You SEC. know what? My signal, my signal is not. Is my not bad. Good. I, I'm it's, just saying. My signal know. is weak, right? I, I mean, we beat y'all every year we played in the SEC. Every year. I'm well, just we saying. Finally, I'm, we got rid of Muschamp, so now we're on the bigger, better things. I'm well, a former, a former Texas coach. But I mean, I, mean, I, got, I look, I, I'm good. I'm just simply saying. I'm between you, Jotaka, and Anton Gunn. I mean, y'all just y'all 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 desperate for an AM uh, victory, but you ain't gonna get it. Anyway, brother, I love you, man. <laughs> I see you on the other side. Have a good one, man. Travel safe on that road, All man. Right, I'm hopping All the right. road now. All right, I'll let you be Oh man, what another great episode with Roland Martin. But before I let you go, you know, I said I was gonna start singing that before I let go. I wanted to talk about the most recent reports that about 12 Republican senators will oppose the certification of this past November's election results on Wednesday. Now, obviously, we've known for some time that Republicans led by the outgoing president have sought to undermine this election at every turn, knowing full well Joe Biden won. And like every other effort to date, Republicans will fail this time, too. What's really happening here when you see people like Missouri Senator Josh Hawley and Texas Senator Ted Cruz catering to the proud boy wing of the Republican Party is early jockeying for 2024 and nothing more. Josh Hawley wants to inherit the MAGAs in this particular political theater. This week is his first shot at the Republican primary field in 2024, hoping that Trump doesn't run again and he's viewed as the defender in chief for Trumpism. This is political theater at its worst, but it'll fail and we'll all move on. But know that this Wednesday will be the first warning shot in the 2024 primary and nothing else. Also, side note, Josh Hawley, you would never be president of the United States. And that's that on that. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers podcast. We'll see you on Thursday.